Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. It's our 80th episode and we have one jam-packed special show. First up, we'll tell you how our modern twist on old-fashioned Rocky Road ice cream turned out. And inspired by our intrepid listeners, we're introducing a tahini chocolate banana soft serve that just may be our favorite flavor combination of the summer. Next, Stefan sits down with the amazing Helen Goh, co-author of preheated favorite cookbook, Sweet, to talk about her road to baking fame, her favorite frozen treats, and what it's like to bake for Christmas in June. Finally, what do you do when it's just you, your pajamas, a full Netflix lineup, and your craving dessert? We're coming to the rescue with some easy single-serving dessert recipes, which means you can eat the whole thing yourself. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, I am planning my trip back to the Northwest from London, and we wanted to remind folks of our very, very special live event, which is taking place on Saturday, July 28th in your town of Olympia, Washington. Yes, I'm so excited. I can't wait. We are doing a Pies and Prosecco with preheated event, so you can have some fizz. You can join us as we talk about how to make a perfect seasonal fruit pie, show you our techniques for doing the crusts and doing the fillings and hopefully having a lot of love and laughter along the way. So hope you can join us and you can check out our event page. Uh, That link is on our Facebook page. There are just a few spots left. We'll be at the Little General in Olympia, Washington on Saturday, July 28th, and we hope you come out and meet us. I am so excited to see some familiar faces and meet some new ones as well, some people I only know online, so that's going to be super fun. Let's jump right in and take a look at our Rocky Road ice cream that we made last week. This recipe came from the Cuisinart cookbook that comes with the Cuisinart ice cream maker, and it was the recipe for simple chocolate ice cream, and then I think we each added our own mix-ins to make it into a rocky road. So Stefan, why don't you start out and tell us what you did to make your rocky road ice cream? This was so delicious, so straightforward, so easy. You have just some sifted cocoa powder, granulated and dark brown sugar, a little salt, a cup of whole milk, two cups of heavy cream, and half a tablespoon of vanilla extract. You whisk those things together, stick that in the fridge until it's cold, one to two hours. At that point, you could also stop and chill that overnight. And just a question. I'm I'm just asking for a friend, Andrea. Did you just kind of want to drink it at that point? (laughs) Yeah, well, because I did mine in my stand mixer. And so when I transferred it from my stand mixer bowl into the container that I was going to put it in the fridge, there was some left in the stand mixer bowl. And as I started to scrape it out, I sort of had that same thought. I thought, well, I don't have to scrape this completely out. 
<laughs> a little may have not made it into my uh, freezer as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got your chilled mixture. You pour that into your ice cream maker. Mine churned for about 15 minutes, I think, 15 to 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. I always do my add-ins after I'm done with that churn. When do you typically add yours, Andrea? Same thing. I do my add-ins at the very end. After it's that soft serve consistency is what I'm going for. Yeah, absolutely. And from there, you can you can be done. You can have this delicious, just pure chocolate ice cream. Pack that in a container, stick it in the freezer, or it's time for your mix-ins. So I did the Rocky Road route. I did a cup of slivered almonds that I had toasted just in a dry skillet over a medium heat for about three to four minutes. Ooh. Then put in my mini marshmallows, which are pink and white here. I don't know why. It's just a lovely little thing that I find different and amusing. (laughs) They're not just white, they're pink and white. When you sent me a photo, I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. Her camera somehow made these marshmallows look pink. And then I zoomed in and I thought, no, they're actually pink. I did notice that. I thought that probably put a smile on your face. Yeah, this was delicious. It was gone in a flash. Everyone really loved it. Now, did you do the standard dairy version, Andrea, or did you do the dairy-free version that your friend Craig had championed? Yes, I did the dairy-free version. And so instead of one cup of whole milk, I used one cup of coconut milk. So that was from a can of coconut milk. I have taken to keeping cans of coconut milk in my refrigerator, so I always have two or three cans. Yeah. So it's taking that. I took the most solid part as opposed to the, the liquid part. Okay. And then two instead of two cups of heavy cream, I did two cups of coconut cream. And I buy the coconut cream that comes in the large box. Oh. So it's nice and thick and really good. I'm laughing as I read this recipe now because it was not until this very moment as I heard you say it that I noticed I was supposed to sift my cocoa powder. I didn't do that. Not because I I decided not to. I honestly did not see that word. Did you have an issue with it? I did not have an issue with it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I used my really special, save for special occasions, Valrona cocoa powder because I like using the coconut in this recipe to make it non-dairy, but I didn't want it to taste like coconut. So I really wanted that cocoa powder flavor to come through. Yes. And so I did use that. I did chill it overnight, and like you, I might have taken a taste or two. It was almost like this thick chocolate pudding at that point. It was fabulous. And the next day when I went to make it, I used my ice cream maker. I mixed it for about 15 minutes, and then I threw in my add-ins, which were pistachio nuts and the mini marshmallows. Okay. Now, I have to give myself a little demerit on the marshmallow front. I know in the past I have bragged about how good I am at keeping my pantry cleaned out. And in fact, I'm sure I've probably sounded somewhat smug about, oh, you know, I just, I I get rid of things when they're expired and everything looks so good and, and that sort of thing. Well, that is true, I would say, for all of the shelves that are eye level or above. Mm. But my top shelf in my pantry is where I keep my s'mores ingredients because it's such a seasonal thing. I only use it, you know, kind of during the summer. Yeah. And that shelf is a little bit higher than I can reach. So I tend to just fling things up there. And when I went up there to, I thought to myself, I don't think I need to buy mini marshmallows. I think I might have a bag. I pulled out my step stool. I went and I peered at that top shelf. And Stefan, would you like to guess how many opened bags of mini marshmallows I had on my top shelf? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, what is it about marshmallows that like proliferate in the in the dark? Um, I'm gonna say seven. You're very close. I only had six. Oh, <laughs> half a dozen. I would say four of them were completely inedible. Yeah. I, in fact, had to use my scissors to cut the plastic away yeah. from the hardened mini marshmallow lump. Mm. Two of them I probably could have used. But at that point, I thought, this is ridiculous. I got rid of all of them. I went to the store. I bought a new one. And I've now told myself I'm not buying any more mini marshmallows or large marshmallows until I check my supply first. So, yeah. I have to say this turned out so well. This is one of my absolute favorites. I like the consistency and the texture of it straight out of the ice cream maker and then I freeze some and I like the consistency and the texture of it over the next couple of days yeah I do find and I don't know if this is specific to homemade ice cream or to using the coconut substitutes it's much better if I let it sit out 10 to 15 minutes before I serve it yes yes I find that too and I think you know when we did frozen last June Mm -hmm. We had some similar problems. And didn't we guess that it was the high fat content that was doing it? You know, there's no artificial ingredients. There's no thickeners or preservatives. And so it does work best. Mm -hmm. Give yourself 10 minutes at least. Just sit it on the counter and you'll have a much better consistency and ease of scooping. You won't be like getting all frustrated. And that is the final instruction on the actual Cuisinart recipe to remove from the freezer 15 minutes before serving. So I think it probably has, you know, more to do with homemade um, and no no artificial yeah. softeners or, or that kind of stuff. So I give this one a big thumbs up. I thought it was really fun. And I, I do think it's interesting. It's one of those old-fashioned ice creams that people don't think of very often, but my daughter loves it. And so I'm hoping the new generation, we can keep it carrying forward. Absolutely. And we are also excited about the tahini chocolate banana soft serve. Part of the reason we're so excited, Andrea, is that this came about from some of our Facebook listeners who've been doing a lot of baking with tahini. This is a recipe you found. Why don't you give it a little intro? Sure. I have been wanting to make some recipes from this website for a while. It's called The Minimalist Baker. And there are a lot of recipes that are gluten-free or vegan. But what I really love about it is they typically have few ingredients. And so that's always one of my favorite things. Yeah. This particular recipe serves two. It is gluten-free. It is vegan. It's two cups of ripe sliced frozen bananas, two tablespoons of tahini. And if you don't want tahini, you can substitute another nut butter or seed butter, like almond butter or peanut butter. So whatever to your liking that you have. Yes. Three tablespoons of cacao or unsweetened cocoa powder, and then one to two tablespoons of maple syrup. Or again, you can substitute some other type of sweetener like stevia or dates if that's to your liking. She has some optional ingredients, ripe pitted dates. I think that would add additional sweetness, a little bit of vanilla extract, and sea salt. I'm probably going to add the vanilla extract and the sea salt. I'll probably skip the dates because my husband has already said that he does not like that date flavor, so I'm not going to do that. Okay, and I think I will use dates. I I love them, just really fresh dates. I'm intrigued also, you know, if you do it with the dates without the maple syrup or any other kind of sweetener, it's really a sugar-free. I mean, it's it's natural sugar, but mm. it's not mm-hmm. – uh, there's no added, added sugar, I guess, is what you would call yeah. that. So, you know, Andrea, did you get on that bandwagon? This was a few years ago. What are those gadgets where you'd freeze the banana and then you would make the ice cream? They actually sold a gadget for it, which I, I know you didn't have because you don't like one-off gadgets, but... (laughs) 
it had some clever name and you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I didn't get one, but I did go through a period where I would always keep frozen bananas in my freezer. Yeah. Well, obviously. Mainly I do that for smoothies, but it was nice to throw them into my blender. I found that just frozen bananas is not enough for me. If you add chocolate chips, it really sort of turns Mm -hmm. it more into Mm -hmm. my mind kind of an ice cream-like treat. Otherwise, it just to me is, it's good, but it's like, yeah, this is frozen bananas. It's not ice cream. Yeah. But when you throw the chocolate chips in, it somehow transforms it. I did make that for quite a while. Yeah, and I'm hoping this really transforms with that really creamy tahini and then also with the cacao or cocoa powder and whatever sweetener you're going to use. You know, one thing I think is worth mentioning back when we reviewed the the Dole Whip back in uh, episode 79, 79, 78, 79. Yep. One thing we really ran into with using those frozen bananas was we both said no matter what kind of blender you're using, you want to let them come to a little bit of a room temperature so they're not rock solid or you're going to have an issue. So I've already scrawled a note on this recipe, like yes. let it warm up just a little, take the, take the chill off, and then proceed. So hopefully that won't be a problem here. I also took my bananas. Normally I would tear them into chunks. So I would take like a medium-sized banana and just freeze it in three chunks. This one I actually went ahead and sliced. Yeah. Because again, I thought same thing. I want it to be smaller. I want it to be easier for the blender. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about her final additional topping that she recommends. It was one to two tablespoons of magic shell. Are you familiar? I don't know what that is. Oh, that's probably a pixie food like we were talking about. (laughs) Magic shell is that 100% artificial. You pour it on. It it comes out of the bottle as liquid and somehow magically forms a hard shell when it hits the frozen. So, you know, I I, I don't know what's going on there. And I think they still make it. But yeah, that was huge. Like as a child, I remember that was another one. I should probably revisit it. Maybe it's really good. I never had it as a kid. I I did not have it, but she does have an option to make your own. So there is a refined sugar-free magic shell, which is one part melted coconut oil with one part cacao powder and then sweetened to taste with maple syrup. And that's actually what I do when I dip strawberries in chocolate oh. is I take cacao powder and coconut oil and a little bit of maple syrup. So unbeknownst to me, I have been making my own magic shell all along. There you go. And this sounds a lot more palatable than whatever was being squeezed out of the bottle in the (laughs) 80s. Very good. Well, listeners, we hope that you freeze along with us this week. This is the Tahini Chocolate Banana Soft Serve from The Minimalist Baker. And we have those links on our Facebook page, on Pinterest, and in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 80. I'm so excited for this next segment. Stefan recently sat down with Helen Goh, lead pastry chef and recipe developer for Yotam Otolenghi and his range of restaurants and bakeries all across London, and the co-author of The Sweet Cookbook. They talked about Helen's path to baking fame, her favorite frozen treats, and why she's making popcorn balls in London. So take a listen. Hi, preheaters. It's Stefan in London. I'm sitting at my kitchen table with Helen Goh. Of all the sentences I thought I might record on the show, that's never been in my wildest dreams. So thank you so much for being here with us, Helen. Welcome. Helen, you are someone who has come to the baking world in, one might say, a circuitous route. Mm -hmm. And that is something that really resonates with our listeners. Mm -hmm with Andrea and I. We call ourselves passionate amateurs on the show. We love to bake. We think we're pretty good at it, but it's not our day job. Mm -hmm. 
you started out in pharmaceutical sales. Yes, that's and right. And then you ran a bakery. Yes. And then you were studying to be a therapist. Yes. And doing that while being a pastry chef. <laughs> Gosh, you, <laughs> yes. You've certainly done your homework. <laughs> that, takes, so, that takes back a number of decades. Very but, good. Yeah. Through it all, has baking been something you have always been passionate about? Yes, I would say yes. I think even when I didn't want it to be, even when I went back to do my postgraduate work in psychology, even when I mentally thought, no, you know, I cannot keep working these long, crazy hours in the kitchen. Yes. Even when I forced myself to kind of extricate myself out of it, I still found the pull and I still always came back to it. And what is it that makes you love baking so much? Is it the thrill of the creating? Is it the sharing of the food that you make? Is it a combination of those it, things? It's, it's actually all of that. I think first and foremost, it would have to be, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it's the magic in it. You know, when you get flour, butter, sugar, and then it transforms to this other thing that you present at the table. And maybe it's something to do with the sort of, sort of insecurity, but you get a lot of, you know, there are a lot of very satisfied people. You, you know, it's very easy to please people. And perhaps I started off wanting to please people, I don't know, but maybe that's still an element of it. But there's nothing else you can do that can please someone, that can elicit that sense of delight as when you present something you've baked. Even more so, I think, than something you've cooked. Yes, I agree. People seem to think you have a, a magic wand somewhere and that they could never do what I, you do. Yes, I think, but there's also, when you cook, you know, when you, when you make chicken for dinner, it's a necessity. Dinner is a necessity, but cake isn't. You're giving a little something extra that you, that you don't need to. And I think there's an association from your past that the very first recollection that we have as children our birthdays birthday mm. cake you know that makes us feel special yes and I think it's inextricably linked with this feeling of being special of being loved and cared for yes and I think it's difficult to separate those two when you when you think of baking Andrea and I both love something that's right at the very beginning of sweet which is sugar has a place in the diet right. and we right. can't keep demonizing it and right. and let's carry on in a sensible way, but make room for the joy. Yes. And I think that's what comes through yes, in your baking. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, we're, you know, we're not saying eat sugar every day. That's, I mean, there were, there were a number of questions about, um, you know, how brave it was to produce a book like that in these times when people oh. are actively trying to cut up sugar. Okay. And, you know, Tom and I were in Holland and he was being interviewed and the interviewer presented this documentary on sugar, the evils of sugar yes. being sort of the new cocaine and all of that. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's just so missing the point. Yes, sugar. Yes, you know, if you eat spoonfuls of sugar, yes. <laughs> and arguably, yes, there are lots of, there's, there's sugar in, in every single recipe in sweet. You know, I'm not going to deny that. Right. But it's also about the ritual of baking, the tradition of baking, the sharing, the camaraderie, the, the whole sort of, table event when you when you cut a cake yes and it would be such a shame to lose that yes. all because we're suddenly very paranoid about sugar and you know paradoxically and i maybe some people might disagree but bakers very rarely are the obesity comes from eating those hidden sugars you know like um in sweets and and in um you know cornflakes or whatever yes you know. Bakers who bake are very conscious of what's in the cake. What are the ingredients? What is it that goes into it to make this magic happen? Right. So there's very little abuse of it that goes on because there's a real respect for what you've made. 
Yes. And I think when you present it to people, there is, you know, you don't scoff a cake that someone's put in front of you because you're relishing every slice. You take your time with it. You take your time with it. Yes, I love that. It's that, it's it's the one that you surreptitiously buy at the corner store and you're trying to eat it very quickly. And, you know, I've done that. In a guilty way. Yes. Of course it happens. That happens. I do it. But that's not what sweet is about. Yes. You know, it's yes. about preserving this tradition and preserving something about the ritual. Mm, absolutely. This segues well into talking about how you would develop a recipe. I think for many people that sounds like a dream job that you're baking all day and tasting, but of course it has to be this very time-consuming, meticulous, even stressful yes. situation. Yes. Can you speak a little bit about how you find your inspiration, then the process? I noticed recently on your Instagram feed that you had a dessert that you said came together very quickly, but that seemed maybe not how it always happens. Is it a longer process? Was it low quits? Low quits? Yes. 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 Okay. Oh, well, that, I mean, I'm really delighted with that because that recipe is now going to my column for the Good Weekend magazine in Australia. Excellent. You know, I've only ever eaten locusts sort of peeled here and there. And, okay. and there's something very, it's a bit like quince. I mm. want to mm. like it and I'm not, I'm not sure if I like it or not. Not yet. Okay. But this, I walked past it. So it was in Uxbridge Road actually. And there was a box, a really beautiful small wooden crate of mm. it. Mm. And I thought, I can't not buy it. Mm. You know, even mm. if I just wanted to, even if I just put that crate in the middle of my dining table, that's all. You just had to have, I it. Just <laughs> had to have it. So I bought it and I, I peeled one and I had the exact same reaction, which is, mm, interesting, it's kind of tiny bit sweet, but it's also mouth puckering. Yes. I wasn't entirely sure about it. And it sat around for a couple of days and I thought it would be such a, because they actually don't keep very well. Okay. They have a very small, uh, very short shelf life. And they were so beautiful, but by day, I think by day three, I could see it starting to brown a bit. Yes. And I thought, okay, I'll have to turn it into jam. The other thing about locusts is that I love peeling them. It's so satisfying. It peels really beautifully, really easily. Yes. And then you have this kind of slightly furry, beautiful, and the color, I mean, just everything about it was quite joyous. So I was <laughs> peeling it and I thought, you know, I... I turn things into jam when I don't know what else to do with it. Yes. Even though I like jam, there's only so much jam that I can I can. Right. So I thought I can do better than that. And I, I started off the jamming process, which was to, I tossed it in some golden caster sugar. And then I thought, what if I just bake that? And I thought, well, actually, why don't I make it into a dessert and put a crumble top on it? And it is a little bit apricotty. Um, so I thought of an almond crumble. And I mean, I was making noises when I was eating it. Was so, um, it was so delicious. And even my husband, who was actively trying not to eat desserts, you know, because, well, I mean, there's a room, there's place for it, but perhaps it's not every day. And he ate it, and I went upstairs to put a sand bed. And when I came down, I said, Tell me, did you take another serve? He said, Yes, I did. And, you know, he's a very disciplined man. And I said, success. Because yeah. <laughs> I knew I knew it was a success for me. But yes. sometimes, you know, sometimes I put something out and I'm not entirely sure whether my taste is what, you know. And low quotes, it, you know, it's, a, it's something unusual. Yes. And he said, yes, I did. And I thought, yes, I've got a winner. And that was without ice cream because I'd rushed it to the oven and I knew it was sort of the wrong time because it was really the kids' bedtime. But I... I loved it and I couldn't wait to come down to it. So I didn't have the ice cream, but he'd, he'd eaten his portion. Even without that kind Even of gilding, that. gilding the lily, then yes. you knew you had yes. a winner. You didn't need it. It was really 
it was the sort of food that you ate thinking, I, what is this? Mm. And you can't stop eating it, but mm. you can't quite put your finger on it. Mm. So I'm really pleased with that one. How many people do you normally, like this time you, you knew that, that you had a winner right away? Are you, are you t- testing that with a handful of people? When are you feeling, yes, we're ready? Um, when it's for work, it, it is quite a precise process. Yes. I have the freedom to put on whatever. Although sometimes, and I think it's a good thing, sometimes I'm given a brief. So for example, we are starting to shoot photo shoots for magazines, our Christmas range. So it is now May, but our deadline is June. So I've been working on Christmas products. So okay. that's very clear. You know, there's a, there's, there's a brief for that. And I, I try to be sensible about it on one hand because, you know, it's a store. We need to sell products. Mm-hmm. So I need to give people what they want. Mm-hmm. But I also like an element of surprise. And I think with baking more than any other, there's a scope for surprise. So, for example, yesterday I went to a meeting with your tongue. It's usually your tongue and Verena, and mm-hmm. then we there are other people in the kitchen. They're always welcome to taste, and we take everybody's opinions into account. But I came up with these popcorn balls. I think it's American, so you might know it. Yes, of course. And yes. Yeah, you hardly see it, and I don't even know whether it's edible or not. <laughs> so I, I did a batch, and I thought it was either going to be a real hit or a real miss. And when I opened up, there was sort of, oh, silence. <laughs> Your tongue wasn't there. There was just this silence. Oh. <laughs> then a couple of hours later, he came and I said, okay, so we went through a few other things that I made and they, that was all very good. And I said, okay, here's something else. And I opened it and there was a silence from him. Then he said, I love it. <laughs> Is it edible? I said, I don't know. So a few of us were trying to bite it and looking at me sort of a scans is it edible I'm not sure so we we decided in the end it wasn't edible and that we couldn't put it up it had to be both beautiful yes because we were going to it's for the tree oh we absolutely were going to for the tree but it also had to be edible yes like an ornament Yes, but because it comes from Ottolenghi, it has to be edible. Of course. We can't just sell an ornament. Yes, yes. So I'm now working on making that edible. So that's, you know, that's a sense of how it's a win in one sense. Mm. Yes, it's not an outright fail, but Mm. there's a lot more work. And I suppose, too, you have to have this, this walk between introducing someone to something new, but at the same time, having some comfort there. That yes. Not everyone will take a chance on something That's new. That's right. And I think baking is about comfort and delight. So you've got to thread this line, oh, tread this line, sorry, between being satisfying, but also having an element of surprise without putting people off. And that can sometimes take a while to find that frontier between one and the other. Absolutely, I can imagine. Well, you are thinking about Christmas treats right now on our show. We are about to enter our frozen month. Everything in June will be frozen. Oh, gorgeous. Do you have a particular favorite, either from sweet or from your own home baking, something frozen dessert that you like to make? I absolutely love soft serves. Yes. I I can never resist it. And there's one that's opened up very near me in West London. It's actually Norwegian. Okay. And it's not very sweet, and it has, but it has lo- lots of toppings, lots and lots. Okay. And the latest one, the last one I had last week, we scooped down, my, my children and I scooped down, and oddly enough, they don't actually go for the ice cream. They go for the, um, what are they called? Slushies, you know, it's, it's oh, nice. Yes, slushies. yes, yes. And my eldest son, who has quite a um, 
sophisticated palate likes the elderflower slushy and he goes for that and he loves that sensation when it freezes your brain but it's also you know very very enjoyable so it's i, lo- I love soft serves but there's one from sweet that i i'm really really pleased with i was trying it was in my recipe book and, and mm. my recipe book is sort of a dinosaur it's 30 years old and some pages are falling out, some pages are annotated, you know, Martha Stewart or whatever, and others have nothing in it except the recipe. And this one had nothing except this recipe, but I do remember eating it. And I think I recall now that it was at a cooking school many, many years ago. And I think I learned to make it there. But anyway, it was just a handwritten recipe, and I hadn't made it in the intervening years. And when we were talking about sweets and consciously wanting a variety of different sweets and thinking we needed to have some frozen dessert, I thought, you know, the biggest obstacle with frozen desserts is that many people don't have ice cream machines. So this is like a parfait, it's a frozen parfait, and it's espresso, and it's a sandwich with meringue basis, and it has coffee praline on top. And you look at it and you think, how am I going to make that? But it's doable, and the thing is about breaking it down into sort of sizable, manageable chunks. And I say that to my patients in psychology, you know, break things down into manageable chunks, you know, whatever that life brings you up. And it's the same with recipes. In the kitchen or without. In the kitchen, <laughs> within and without, break it down into manageable bites. Absolutely. Um, and it's one of my favorite things because you look at it and you think, I'm not going to be able to make that. And then you make it and you grow a foot taller. There's also many elements of kind of baking in, in, in that that is really wonderful to master. Wonderful. So that's one of my favorites. Oh, very good. Who do you turn to when you are baking at home, wanting to find inspiration from other bakers? Um, everywhere and yes. anywhere. You know, there's, a, there's one in Sweet where I talk about the woodland meringues, which is, you know, Kew Gardens. My children lo- love going there in autumn and those chestnuts and you know, creating something that sort of resembles that. You know, the woodland and the meringue, something edible. So it comes from anywhere. I mean, I have lots of respect for many, many bakers mm-hmm. and I see them as allies. I love the flavor thesaurus. That's one of my favorite books. That's Nikki Segnet. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, but that's brilliant. The writing is fantastic. I mean, I read it in bed just for the sheer delight of it. Um, I reference it. I like uh, Stephanie Alexander. I think The Cook's Companion is one of the best books. You know, that would be my probably my desert island. Okay. Because everything is there, and it it also it doesn't make things so complicated. It's just kind of food, and here are some. Here are some tips to help you put it together. Mm. And, you know, don't worry about it too much. You know, even though actually in reality, in my professional life, I do worry. I'm, 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 I'm an obsessive. Yes, so I, <laughs> I <like>. understand. <laughs> I quite like that Stephanie's book is, although, you know, of course, she's a very accomplished um, chef, mm. but her book is about um, just enjoying cooking. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, don't be intimidated by it. Just, you know, um, you know, buy the best ingredients and here are a few tips and you'll be fine. And that's great. Yes. And and that's something that we try to do on the show, too, is take people by the hand and, and let them know that they can do this, too, yeah. and that it's all right to fail, yes. because those can be some great stories yes. as well. Yes. And and that's the only way you get better at anything, yes. is to keep doing exactly. it, you know? You had talked about a desert island cookbook. Mm-hmm. Do you have a desert island dessert? Now, I'm probably going to disappoint people, but I like very, very simple cakes. Okay. I talk about the national, what we call the National Trust. Lemon, lemon cake. cake. 
you know, it's very simple. It has to have a good crumb. That's very mm. important for me. And the, the cake next to it, which is the spice cake, also has a very tight, neat crumb. So it's sort of simple to eat. I, I like a cake that I, you know, I can kind of slice off a bit every time I walk past the table. Mm. And simple biscuits. I mean, I recently, yesterday, um, finalized a, a wafer cookie, which is, it's, it's actually not even baked. You, you make the mixture, you pat it into a loaf tin, and you slice it and bake it fresh you okay. know, to, to, to eat. And I love this idea of the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Anything with nuts. Oh, also nuts and lemon. Yes. Oh, well, you, you are a true preheater. These are two of our favorites oh, really? on the show yes. as well. In addition to, to the Christmas, anything else you can share with us that's coming up for you? Yes, my column. That's quite, the column is quite challenging because mm. with a book, you know, you have 110 recipes. You can have a bit of fun with that. Mm. But with a column, you really want people to bake from it. You really want them, you know, it's inserted into the Saturday, Saturday mm. paper. You want them to think, oh, I can bake that. I'll just go to the shops and grab a few provisions. And actually, I'm going to make it tomorrow when I've got a couple of hours. Yes. So it's got to be very accessible. It's mm. helping me to see things in a different way. Not that I haven't done it like that, but because... Mm. And on Zelengi, there's always got to be a slight wow factor mm, mm-hmm. um, because that's the window. You know, it's, 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 it's very visual. So I'm now learning to be, let go of that a little bit. Yes. Um, what am I working on? Gosh, so many things. Where to begin? In fact, we had to sort of physically take stock. And I must say, I'm much better at having ideas than I am about baking them. I'm more excited about having the idea. This beats the alternative, I think, Helen. Yes, not having enough ideas. Yes. You know, having an idea and then making it and being able to commercialize it, convincing Mm. people, Mm. and then convincing a team of people that they can make hundreds and hundreds Mm. of it a week Mm. is Mm. something else. Yes, I'm I'm sure. Yes. So, you know, it's easier to come up with lots of ideas and then I have to think of the practicalities of it. Do you find then that you are working? I mean, Christmas is still six months away. Is that strange to be making a Christmas treat in beautiful springtime London? Yes, it is. Yes. It is. Although once the inspiration takes stock, I'm gone. Okay. So for example, what I worked on was this idea of little praline. Because I think at Christmas time, the the balance shifts towards more delight than comfort, Mm. right? Mm. You've got the comfort with the fruitcakes and your turkey and, and all of that and your vegetables. The dessert has to delight, yes. I think. So I'm, the balance shifts towards that. And the pralines for me are something that you want to give as a gift. You want to bring it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I was really, really happy with that. When I want to eat it, not just taste it, I know I've got a winner. And I took it home. <laughs> I mean, I took it to the tasting. You know, I offered it to everybody. And when it was time to go, I wrapped it up and put it in my bag. And that's when I know I have a winner yes. because I want to eat it. Yes, yes. You're still saving some back for yourself. Exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Very good. Helen, thank you so much for stopping by today. Listeners, if you want to connect more with Helen and the amazing recipes from Sweet, you can follow her on Instagram. She's at Helen Go Bakes. And of course, if you don't already have a copy of Sweet, run right out and get that now. Thank you so much for being here today, Helen. It was an absolute pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Stefan, I have so many questions after that great interview with Helen. (laughs) Oh, I had so much fun. Yes, let her rip. I could tell. Well, first of all, what is a loquat? I heard her referring to this item. It sounds like a fruit, but I have never heard of it before. Yeah, you are correct. It is a fruit. It sounds like it should be like a kumquat, but it's not. As Helen said, like a slightly apricot-y flavor, but some people also think they can detect flavors of peach or citrus or mango. So Mm. very beautiful on the inside, very beautiful on the outside. 
It also has a very high pectin content, and Helen also says she usually makes jam with these, so that is one reason that it's so successful. They set up really well. Okay. They are originally from China, where they actually grow wild, but they're actually cultivated all over the world now in warmer climates, including the U.S. and Japan, the Middle East, South America, Australia, New Zealand. So it's actually shocking that I have not run into this before. It seems like they're very prevalent, and I'm going to need to track them down now. Clearly, Helen can find them in London. I, I need to do that as well. I'm going to look at my local grocery store too. What color are they? Kind of orangey, orangey yellow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. You might even think they are like a pear-shaped peach or apricot. Okay. I think is what you're going to think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've been there all along and I've never noticed them. So totally. I'll give an update and let everyone know if I'm able to find it. Yes. Yes. I also was curious about what she means when she talked about her soft serve. Yes, pretty much exactly what we mean in the U.S., that soft, textured ice cream. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, we were talking after the um, episode we were done recording, and I was telling her about the Dole Whip, and she was fascinated. So just keep an eye out, because I think Helen might be working on some homemade Dole Whip one of these days. And what about popcorn balls? (laughs) I know. That might be my favorite part. Are they edible? Are they edible? So she's talking about, of course, a classic popcorn ball and so prevalent in the U.S. for forever, right? We think of them almost as an old-fashioned dessert, I think. Oh, yeah. And she's creating recipes for their Christmas selections. And and I think the Are They Edible came from she had designed them to look like a Christmas tree ornament. And so she opened the box and everyone's taking a look and they they can't tell if it's if it's food or if it's an ornament for the tree. And of course, she's hoping it to be both when she's all done with her testing. So I think she's still working on that. I just recently saw on her Instagram again, some more rounds of testing. So I told her I'd be happy to be the American voice of popcorn balls if she needs more taste testers. (laughs) (laughs) You have experience. I know. And you know, it's funny because I think way, way back, listener Antone had suggested we do popcorn balls for a holiday. For a holiday show. And now that Helen is is doing them for Otolenghi, I mean, I don't think we need any other key that this is going to be a hot food trend. Popcorn balls. You heard it here first. That's right. Oh. Yes. And it was just so much fun to chat with her. And of course, Helen, thank you so much for stopping by. And what a what an experience that was, I tell you. I really wish that you could have been with us, Andrea. It was hard to be 6,000 miles away from you that day. I was quite jealous. <laughs> Well, Stefan, our show is all about baking for the ones we love, but sometimes the person who needs the most love is me. (laughs) Uh, Some of my favorite flavors and treats don't necessarily coincide with my family's favorites. I mean, as you know, my husband's not a huge chocolate fan, and I am. Yeah. So I often find myself wanting a single-serving dessert just so I can get exactly the flavors that I want. Yeah, I have this issue too, and mine revolves around carrot cake because I'm the only person in my house who likes carrot cake. And you know, when was the last time you saw a carrot cake that wasn't in a 9 by 13 or was a huge bunt pan or, you know, I can't I can't be doing that. And from a calorie perspective, yes. right, it's kind of an occupational hazard doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. I you know, Nothing is more dangerous than having like a cold cake in my fridge. <laughs> right, or a pan of brownies in my exactly. house. Exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> So yes, I'm so excited about this mini segment. We're talking about one serving dessert. So perhaps you live alone or you just like to eat your dessert alone or like something that other folks in your house do not. There are times when a single serving is the perfect serving. And that's right. So why don't you start off and tell us some of your favorite single serving dessert recipes? 
Well, the one that I'm most intrigued with right now, to be honest, is one I see all the time, but I'm still trying to figure it out. I really want this to be a success, Andrea, but so far it's eluding me. (laughs) I'm really hoping some preheaters can help. So they're called a mug cake, and they are all over Pinterest in kind of every combination you can think of. There's like cinnamon roll mug cake, molten lava mug cake, Mm -hmm. Oreo, red velvet, snickerdoodle, apple pie, peanut butter. The concept here is awesome. It's kind of your, I know you love your one bowl. It's like the ultimate one bowl, except it's all um, one one mug, I guess, dessert. Right. Got a little flour, a little leavening, some kind of liquid, some sugar, maybe some spices. Then you microwave it for about two minutes. And the cake part really does puff up. It's it's kind of magical. But it never cooks in the way I want it to. It's more like eating raw, warm cookie dough. <laughs> I don't, I mean, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes that sounds excellent. Uh, I'll just be honest, but like a whole mug full of that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I just haven't found the yeah. right recipe or there's something else going on here. But so listeners, if you guys have one, then I would love to know. And especially a carrot cake one, since that's a dessert that I really like. Yeah, I have no experience with that. I've I've seen it all over Pinterest, but because I don't have a yes. microwave, I've just ignored it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe our listeners can help out with that. I bet someone's got an answer to that. Another one that's more traditionally baked, Nigella Lawson has an emergency brownie from her At My Table cookbook, and I just love that name. I love that name. I love that woman. It's in a mini loaf pan, and she's like, it could serve two, but I won't tell anyone, and this is your emergency, so go ahead and eat the whole little pan. So I'd love to give that a try. And then, you know, that made me think that another great one is just to freeze individual balls of cookie dough, and then you could just pop one in the oven when you needed one. That's a great idea. How about some of your favorites, Andrea? There are, of course, a lot of recipes where you could just take it and start dividing the ingredients down to make a single serving. I don't consider that a single serving (laughs) dessert recipe. You know, if I'm having to do like three-eighths of a teaspoon of sugar or, you know, um, half of an egg yolk, that that's not going right, to work for me. Right. I'm looking for something that, that really is designed to be made in a single serving. Yeah, absolutely. One of those is one I talked about back in episode 73 when I talked about instant pot desserts, and that is the single-serving creme brulee. Oh, yeah. And so that's lovely and very rich and very easy. Probably my easiest one to do and something that I do quite often is a crisp for one. Okay. So I will take whatever fruit I have on hand, like an apple or a peach or a plum. And to be quite honest, I'm usually doing this when they're toward the end of their life cycle. Okay. <laughs> so got it. I will chop it up. I'll combine it with a little bit of butter and some sugar and some vanilla. And then I'll um, put it in a, you know, wide mouth, small mason jar, or I have some small pudding dishes. And then I'll top it with a crisp topping, which I usually just do a combination of oatmeal, brown sugar, butter, and some nuts. And then I'll throw it in the oven around 350, bake it for 20 or 30 minutes until it's hot and bubbly. And I just do endless variations on this all summer long. Sometimes I'll throw some toasted coconut in. Sometimes I'll leave the nuts out. It's a very forgiving recipe. So that's one of my favorites. That sounds awesome. One of my new things that I've been doing is something called dessert hummus. Have you ever heard of this? (laughs) No, but I love it already. (laughs) 
it's kind of funny to me for a baking podcast. We talk a lot about using garbanzo beans. So, um, well, (laughs) but before I talk about my dessert hummus, I want you to remind our listeners about another use for garbanzo beans when you learned about aquafaba, which you discovered Mm. way back on episode 20. Yeah, yeah, aquafaba, that is some magical stuff. So, um, it is made with the juice that surrounds canned chickpeas. If you think of that, you normally drain off and, and put down the put down the drain. You're you're not using that, but you can use it in place of whipped cream or meringue. So it sounds super weird, but it behaves just <laughs> like whipped egg whites or whipped cream. And yep. what I ended up doing was making a pavlova with it, and it was wonderful. It was I could not taste any of the beans. I mean, you've added some sugar as mm-hmm. well. Wasn't beany. It was really tasty, and it uses up something that otherwise, you know, goes to waste. So yes, obviously we love finding creative ways to use garbanzo beans. <laughs> so yes, what's this dessert hummus? I must know. Yeah, dessert hummus. So you take a can of your chickpeas. You want to make sure you rinse it well. Sometimes I'll rinse these two or three times because you really don't want any of that bean flavor. Yeah. And then into your food processor, you're going to toss that rinsed can of chickpeas. You can throw in a little bit of non-dairy milk, like an almond milk or a coconut milk. You actually don't have to put that in. It just depends on what sort of texture and consistency you're going for. You put in a couple of tablespoons of cocoa powder, some maple syrup, a little bit of sea salt, and whip it up in the food processor, and you've got your dessert hummus. You know, depending on your definition of a serving size, the reason I threw this into my one serving, even though it makes more than that, is when I make this, I pack them into those little small Tupperware containers, and I will throw them in my daughter's lunch. Yeah. And so in my head, they're a single serving thing because the way that I package them um, and the way that I keep them in the fridge, they're a single serving item. I've never really told her what they are. Hopefully she's not listening. You know, if I make it with chocolate and hazelnut, I'll be like, oh, it's Nutella. Or, you know, um, you can, again, it's similar to the mug cakes. You can do it snickerdoodle. You can do it cake batter. You can do it brownie batter. So if you go on the internet, you do a search for dessert hummus recipe, you will find a ton. There is a company actually making a commercial product. I believe they were featured on Shark Tank. I haven't bought that one yet, but I'm guessing it's pretty similar. I highly recommend it, and I would love it if you guys would try it out. And, and here in England, they say, get your five a day. So if you have dessert hummus, uh, meaning five fruit or veg, uh, <laughs> if you have dessert hummus, you're, you're getting at least two. So well done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I wonder what our listeners' favorite single-serving desserts are. So um, we would love it if you would post on our Facebook group, or you can send us a message at host at preheatedpodcast.com. Let us know what you're making when you're um, sitting at home at night and you need to have a little sweet treat just for yourself. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we look forward to dipping into tahini and seeing how this unusual ingredient can spice up our desserts. We'll also introduce a passion fruit semi-frito, so Andrea can try this delicious fruit at home and see what I've been enjoying during my time here in London. Finally, we'll discuss the controversial issue of dessert leftovers. Do they really exist? (laughs) And if so, what do you do with them? Special thanks this week to Helen Goh for being such a fun and gracious guest, and to Angelique Sunter for her help arranging today's interview. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. 
If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Okay, well, so you got to cool it on the marshmallow buying. I got to cool it. I got to cool it on the marshmallow buying.